You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple-makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. We are going to be in the book of Isaiah today, and this sermon will be much shorter than normal, lest you be nervous. Uh, I know it, I love having kids in here. I know uh, sometimes we have even down through four-year-olds, but it's awesome even to have one-year-olds and two-year-olds and three-year-olds, and uh, I just want you to know if you're a parent in here, a grandparent, one of them, I do not mind in the slightest if they're moving around or talking or whatever they are, two or one or three or however old they are, and especially on Christmas, we should remember Christ himself was one point a baby, right? He himself was one point crying, and Mary and Joseph were probably getting, trying to get him to be calm and whatnot, so do what you need to if you want to walk around or whatever. Uh, I will not be distracted at all, and I don't mind at all. I, I love uh, getting to have them in here with us. But I am going to try to be sensitive to that and not preach forever uh, and preach long and just uh, take advantage of the opportunity of having one service. I'll try to keep these thoughts uh, brief but hopefully significant to us uh, from the book of Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah 11, like I said, and we're going to look at the first 10 verses of it. Um, as, as you're finding that, I was going to ask a simple question. I, I even encourage the kids in here to think about this. And you might not have a lot of people that come to mind when I ask this question, but some of us who are older would. Is who is the greatest ruler you could think of, whether current or historically? The greatest king, queen, president, prime minister? Uh, there's, there's been many, many, many great leaders that have come onto our planet that are even alive right now. Uh, there's many wonderful leaders. And think about what sort of, if you have somebody in your mind, what sort of accomplishments did they actually make? Probably significant ones. If it's somebody that rises to the top of man, that man or woman was a wonderful leader. They probably had some big things that they did and that, that they made happen. They might have brought about some big changes. They probably impacted the world in a really big way. But I want us to see from this text this morning, from Isaiah chapter 11, that, and I hope this goes without saying every Sunday, but especially on Christmas Sunday, that Christ, that Jesus, when he came into the world, he was going to and has become the greatest ruler of all. That even the greatest current, former, future leaders that, that arise among us as humans do not hold a candle to Jesus as the king who is to come and who is going to uh, set up a kingdom that far surpasses the USA or the United Nations, whatever thing is great that we think of. His kingdom was going to far surpass it. And as a king of it, he was going to far surpass any king, any queen, any leader uh, that, that has come into our world. And so we're going to look at Isaiah this morning. Most churches, and this is wonderful, many years we have done this, and we'll probably do this, look at passages like the book of Luke, or the book of Matthew, the stories that are directly about Jesus' birth, but we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 11. We've been in Isaiah the last couple Sundays. If you're from out of town or you haven't been here, we looked at Isaiah 7, we looked at Isaiah 9, and now we're going to look at Isaiah 11. And this might seem weird to people because Isaiah lived over 700 years before Jesus was ever even born. Uh, so that'd be kind of like asking somebody about your birth that lived in 1300 something to, to talk about your birth. That's kind of what we're doing uh, when we read Isaiah. But God gave Isaiah insight into what Jesus, how he was going to be born, what he was going to be like, what he was going to do. And Isaiah was helping his people of his day learn to wait for those things. 
to wait for them to come through. And we, we are still called to wait on Jesus today, aren't we? It's just in a different way. We're called to wait for him to come back from heaven, just as he came the first time. And so we can learn from Isaiah too, what it means to wait and what we are waiting for and why we should be excited. And so uh, we're going to read, I'm going to read a couple verses at a time. This first one, I'm just going to read one verse at a time. But I want us to see a very simple idea today. It's that Christ's rule his rule or his reign would far surpass that of any other king. Uh, that, that Christ's rule would far surpass that of any other king. I'm going to read the, just the first verse here, and I'm going to try to use a few S words that, that maybe kids could listen for, that if you're old enough, you can take notes. It might help you to pay attention in the next few minutes. Uh, but the first thing we're going to see in verse 1 is what I would call the stump and the shoot. The stump and the shoot. Read with me verse 1. This is this vision that Isaiah has 700 years before uh, Jesus would ever even come. This is what how he starts this part of his prophecy. He says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So this is an awesome text. I'm really excited to read through it with you. Isaiah is going to use, he apparently likes nature. I'm not a big nature person, to be honest, but he uses in this text, he uses an image of a tree stump and a shoot that would grow out of it. We're going to see he talks about animals like bears and, and uh, leopards and calves and things like that. He's going to talk about a sea being filled with water. He's going to talk about all sorts of nature things. But he starts by talking about a stump and a shoot. Uh, and what, what was happening in Isaiah's day was this. God had had his nation of people, right, that he called Israel. And they were supposed to be like this strong tree uh, that was growing. And especially their kings were supposed to be this strong tree, this stable thing that was going to give life and fruit and shade and everything to God's people, but even to the nations too. But over time, they become more and more disobedient. And even the kings that were supposed to be leading God's people have disregarded God and said, we don't need you. We'll do our own thing. We'll figure out our own ways. We've seen this in Isaiah a few times already. And God told them through Isaiah that like that big tree that they were supposed to be, he was going to cut them down. That this tree that was dead, it wasn't producing fruit. It wasn't. These kings weren't supposed to do what they were uh, called to do as leaders, God said he was going to cut that tree down. He was going to use this powerful nation of Assyria in their day to cut them down, to take them over, to send them away from the promised land. And God also, if you look back at chapter 10, had even told that nation of Assyria that he was going to use kind of like a saw to cut down the tree of God's people. He told them, you're a tree too, and I'm going to cut you down. If you read the end of chapter 10, God just got done saying, I'm cutting you all down. Like, none of you are good kings. None of you are doing what you're supposed to do. You are weak in comparison to me. I'm cutting you all down. And so there's these stumps, these tree stumps uh, of God's people, but even of other nations, because they're not living like they're supposed to. And so God is doing that in Isaiah's days, cutting down the tree of God's people. And usually, kids, you probably know this, if, if, if a tree gets cut down and all that's left is a stump, that's pretty much good for nothing, isn't it? Like, raise your hand if you went and cut down a Christmas tree this year. This could be grown-ups, too. Did anybody go cut down a Christmas tree? I thought it would be more than this. Okay. I feel better about myself now that we have a fake Christmas tree. Uh, so when you go down, if you haven't been there, there's tree farms, and you go and you literally cut down. You use a saw or somebody does it for you. Cut down a tree, and when you take it, put it in your house, but you forget there's a tree stump left there. 
And I, I did some research on this this week of what, because I don't know anything about nature. What do they do with those? Does, does something grow out of that? I've, I have no idea. Usually they don't. Nothing typically grows out of that. They actually take these machines that go back through these fields and they get these roots and they rip them up out. They, they take the stump and they rip them up out of the ground and they get rid of them. They don't, they don't typically reuse them. Nothing typically grows back up out of those. When trees get cut down because they're healthier, because we just want to get rid of them, they don't typically grow anymore. But what, what Isaiah envisions here is when God cuts down this tree of God's people, that someday he said there's going to be this little shoot that starts to grow out of it. It's not like a little gun or something. It means like a little miniature tree is going to start to grow up out of that stump. And he calls it the stump of Jesse. That was Jesse was the father. He was the dad of Israel's greatest king from the past, David, who God had given all these big promises to and, and Isaiah is looking ahead and trying to say, yeah, God's cut this tree down for now, but he made promises long ago that he's going to send a king that will rule forever. It's going to be great. And someday from that very family that he's cut down, that, that very tree that he's cut down, he's going to send a shoot growing up out of it. And that's exactly what we see happen 700 years later, that Jesus' family was from this tree of Jesse, from this tree of David. They were descendants of him. And one day, 2,000 years ago from now, Jesus grew up out of that stump like a little shoot. He was weak in the human sense. He, he was vulnerable like a little shoot would be growing up out of a stump. But he grew into a branch that would bear fruit, Isaiah said. Did you see that? He, he bore fruit. He actually lived how we were supposed to live, how kings were supposed to live when he lived in our world. He bore fruit like he was supposed to. But I want to read a few more verses with you, and I'll go quicker through these. Because I want, to see, I want you to see what this shoot, what Jesus is going to be like. How is he going to be different? Follow verse 2 to verse 5. There's more poetry that Isaiah says. He's talking about Jesus, this shoot that would come out. He says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He, won't, he shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And so here's a couple more S words if you're listen for these. Uh, so we saw the shoot and the stump, but here, what makes Jesus different, the way I would phrase it, is that he was going to be a spirit-led sovereign. Sovereign is like a word for a king or a ruler. He was going to be a spirit-led sovereign. Isaiah looks in ahead in time and sees Jesus is going to be born. There's going to be this shoot that comes out of this dead stump. And he starts by saying, the Spirit of the Lord is going to be upon him. The Holy Spirit is going to do things in this boy, this man, that he's never done in others. So you see in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would, would rest upon some people. Uh, he, he would come and, and live even in a few of them, dwelling in them. But Isaiah is saying something's going to be even ratcheted up even more in this person to come. That the Holy Spirit is going to rest upon him. And he, he's going to give, the Father's going to give to Jesus the spirit of wisdom and understanding. That means that he could, he could judge things rightly and he could make good decisions. Uh, he'd have insight into how to be a good ruler. Uh, 
But in that he would give them the spirit of counsel and might. That's almost like army, military strategy. Like he would, he would have this good strategy and he would be able to do what he needed to do. What he knew needed to get done, he could do it. But then most of all, you see the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. That, that was something that was not present in the kings of Israel. But he said the Holy Spirit is going to be upon Jesus and he's going to fear God. Not in a scared sense, but in a respect sense. He's going to have, Jesus is going to have awe and respect and obedience towards his heavenly Father like none of these kings have. And you see that he, God gave him the Holy Spirit in special ways. And that he responded then. Verses 3 to 5 talk about how he, this Jesus, this rescuer, this king, delighted in fearing God. It's not something, like respecting God wasn't just something like, man, I, I know mom and dad are telling me I need to do this. I, I guess I'll obey God. He delighted in obeying God. He wanted to obey God throughout his whole life. As a two-year-old, as a seven-year-old, as a 15-year-old, he delighted to fear God and to obey Him. And that was something different and unique about him. And he used his skill to be a good judge. That, that he, some kings and some people that are in charge, you guys you who are kids know that sometimes when we're in charge, we don't always make the best decisions. Sometimes we see things wrong or we don't know all the details. And sometimes you may want to help fill in the gaps for us and help us know what, what, we're, what we're not knowing. But Jesus knew everything. He could see into people's minds and hearts, and nobody could trick him. Nobody could deceive him or manipulate him and get him to do stuff for them. Uh, Jesus, could, he would judge rightly. He would be fair in what he did with people and how he dealt people, because he could see people's hearts, which no king could ever do and no king ever will be able to do other than him. And he lived, verse 5, you see, he was righteous and faithful. Uh, that is something none of these kings did consistently. They all disobeyed in different ways and walked away from God in certain ways. But this king to come, Jesus, obeyed perfectly uh, throughout his whole life. He, he listened to his mom and dad. He respected authorities. He, he followed the law of God perfectly. He did everything that he was called to do. And so you see that he was led by the Holy Spirit in special ways uh, throughout his life, from the beginning of it up through the very and he was a spirit-led sovereign. But what I want to read to you last is verses 6 through 10, because you see that Jesus, and Isaiah even, because he is, Jesus is going to set up a kingdom that's going to be way better than any other kingdom that has ever come and that will ever be. And we're going to see what I would call the, the last S words, the scope of his salvation, the, the, the scope, the bigness of what Jesus was coming into the world to do. So listen to this. This is awesome. This is stuff I think Isaiah was even seeing that's still in the future even from us today. Things that are still yet to come. He said this, and here's some more animals. Listen for the animals, kids, that you hear. Maybe you'll hear some of your favorite animals in here. He says that someday the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear will graze, their young will lie down together, the lion will eat straw like the ox. And this freaks me out right here because I hate snakes. He says, The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that day, the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal 
of the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place will be glorious. There is far more in that than we could cover uh, in this morning. But I want to show you a couple of things here real briefly before uh, we are finished of what Jesus was going to be bringing about, what his kingdom was going to be like. Because they've been great rulers who've come into our world and who have done good things, but they've never made changes like this. They've never gotten into so much of the world to bring about changes like this. Because uh, what Isaiah is envisioning here is a, a place that is, it's not just that he wanted Jerusalem to be safe, which is where he lived. But he's imagining this whole world that is at peace. So much so that he imagines, did you hear that, kids? He imagines a wolf and a lamb resting together. That doesn't normally happen, okay? Uh, he, he imagines a leopard lying down and resting with a young goat. That doesn't normally happen. Uh, I don't need to show, tell you in detail, but those animals typically do not get along, okay? Uh, the one may rest in the other's stomach, something like that, but they, they do not get along in our world. There's, there's this curse that has been put upon our world, but Isaiah is looking and seeing something. When this king sets up his kingdom, even animals are going to get along. When kids, when you go to the zoo, there's different sections of the zoo, isn't there? And not on purpose, because like if, if lions were in the same section as lambs, those lambs would not live very long, and kids would get freaked out, okay? But, but in our world, even in our peaceful United States, we still, in the animal kingdom, have to have sections. But when Jesus would set up his kingdom, even that is going to be gone. There's going to be peace even between enemies among animals. And he even talks about how a little kid will be able to guide these animals. How, how even a weak child, a young child, can lead huge animals and can get them to do uh, what they want them to do. And you, you see even that they can put their hand over the snake holes and things like that that would freak me out as a parent if my kids were doing that today. Uh, it would freak me out to put my hand over one of those. But Jesus is setting up a piece, a piece that, that is unmatched, that no ruler can bring about in our world today. He, he's setting up a peace uh, even between people. Verse 9 talks about how and this mountain that, got, that he's going to create, this new world he's going to create, that people aren't going to hurt or destroy each other anymore. That, that, that people aren't going to make fun of one another. They're not going to mistreat. They're not going to take advantage of people anymore. They're not going to manipulate people anymore. Jesus is going to even change the hearts of people so that there's peace between us as people. And you see that they, in verse 10, you see that there's going to be this peace that is between humans and God, even too. He says that the earth, this new earth, will be full of the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. That's a way of saying that just like a lake is totally full of water, there's not like air pockets and whatever in there, it's totally full of water. The earth someday, when Jesus sets up his kingdom, is going to be full of of the knowledge of God. Everyone that is there is going to know Him and be okay with Him. And you see Isaiah is imagining this reversal of the curse that happened at the very beginning of the human race. Back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned, God put a curse upon the world that we still live in. He said that, that animals, uh, that this was part of the curse that, that, that they would fight. He talked about how there would be division between humans, that there would be hostility, but most of all there would be separation between us and God. He kicked them out of the garden. And humans have been kicked away from God. We do not deserve to come to God. But when Jesus came into the world, 
he was seeking and he has fixed all of that. He, he was wanting to set up a place where all of that is made right, where all of that is broken is, is getting fixed. And the way he did it was by going to the cross, which seems so weird to us. But the way he showed his power as a king was by letting himself be put to death. Paul talks about in the book of Colossians that Mr. Jordan read earlier that, that uh, Jesus became the firstborn from among the dead. And that came after he had become, he says also in the book of Galatians, that Jesus became a curse for us. That when he went to the cross, he was taking the curse, all the brokenness and even God's anger for sin, he was taking it on himself the ugliness of our world, the hate, all the sin, all the judgment of God. He has taken it on Himself so that it might be released from us, that we might be freed from this curse that we're under. And He was then raised from the dead as the first one. He wasn't just the firstborn of Mary. That's awesome. That was a, a miracle in itself. But He said that He was the firstborn from the dead. That after He died and was put to death, God raised Him up as the head of a new creation of a new world, so to speak. He was this ruler of all things. And he's not yet made this world, has he? Because we still have those sections in the zoo. We still have people that have anger towards us and that we have towards them. We still see parts of the curse in our world. But Isaiah would want us to know, and, and Jesus himself would want us to know that someday, as sure as he was going to come the first time, and he did, he's going to come again. He, he is going to come again, and He's going to set up this kingdom that we just read about, where, where all the parts of the curse are removed, where, where all things are made right. So, in closing today, I just want to call us to trust in Him, to, to place our faith in that Savior Jesus. That, that last verse, verse 10, talks about how He's been raised up as a signal, or as a banner, and He says that all the nations should be coming to Him, should be seeking Him out. And I would call you today, whether you are 5 or whether you are 70 in this room, if you have not placed your faith, if you have not come to that King, powerful King Jesus and said, I give my life to you. I'm so sorry for how I've lived, but I trust you. I give my life to you. Thank you so much for dying for me and being raised for me. I would call you to do that today. Seek Him out like verse 10 talks about. Come to Him in faith. And if you don't know what that looks like, I'd love to talk to you. I know your loved ones or friends that are even with you would love to talk to you about that. But those of us who've already done that, let's wait with confidence. It might be in 2000, shoot, it might be in 2017 that Jesus comes back. It might be in 2018. It might be in 3000, whatever. I don't know. But someday He is going to come back and He is going to set up this kingdom and it will be worth the wait. We think it's something to wait for presents, and maybe you got stuff you're ready to go to whenever I'm done talking and you're anticipating these things. Some of those things might disappoint, but when Jesus comes back, He will not disappoint. All those who place their faith in Him will be raised to life, and we'll get to see this and enjoy this and be part of this kingdom that He has set up. Amen.